If only life were a straight path to our desired destination, wouldn't life be so much easier? Yeah, maybe. But those unexpected zigzags in our path teach us that life's tough struggles have greater purpose than we ever imagined. Stories and strategies are our focus for season four. Zigzag in One host, Melanie Brown, chats with courageous women who share their stories of encountering zigzags and how they fought to overcome them. Be assured, their stories will inspire and encourage you. But we know warm and fuzzy feelings aren't enough to equip you to fight those challenging zigzags in your path. So, this season, our guests are joining us for another episode to share strategies, mindsets, and habits that strengthened and empowered them during their toughest seasons. Join us in declaring, zigzags may interrupt our path, but they will not detour us. We will keep moving forward. Welcome to the Zigzag in One podcast. I'd like to start today with a question. Can you recall a time when you invited in toxic companions? Or maybe you allowed them to stay even though you knew they were bad news. I know I have. Today's guest, Kathy McKinnis, allowed toxic companions to remain in her life for far too long. Not all toxic companions are humans, though. Some are toxic beliefs, like shame, bitterness, fear, and, oh boy, the opinions of others. Those companions can often be more detrimental to our well-being than any toxic human. Kathy McKinnis is the author of Companions on My Journey. She's also a speaker and the founder of Fervent Grace Ministries, which is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to share the message of God's love. Kathy and her husband, Carrie, have been married for 32 years and have two daughters, a son, and three grandchildren. Y'all, the best part of Kathy's story is she made a decision that enough was enough and she extricated those toxic companions. Join my conversation with Kathy to hear her describe the healthy, life-giving companions that she's invited into her life. Welcome, Kathy. I am so excited to see you again today. It's been a couple of months since the Blue Lake Christian Writers Conference. I have read your book. I'm excited to talk to you today because while there have been some really challenging years and dark years in your story. There have also been some major pockets of light and God intervening. Well, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for asking me. Of course. So we're going to talk about your story, which you wrote in your book, Companions on My Journey. I read it and took all kinds of notes and made <laughs> sticky notes because there were so many important passages in there about your story. So let's talk about your childhood. I grew up in basically the hills of East Tennessee, and I was the oldest of five children. We grew up most of my early life in extreme poverty. That has a stigma all its own. Yes. 
as far back as I can remember, I was always a fearful child. I don't know if I was born that way. I don't know if something happened uh, to cause that. Uh, but I was especially afraid of God. Now, I grew up in church, but there was just this fear. To me, he was this angry old man <laughs> sitting on this throne just waiting to send uh, sinners to hell, which was such a contradiction to what I would hear in Sunday school, because they would talk about Jesus loving you and dying you on the cross. But in my mind, I just couldn't quite reconcile the two. My mother told me that I learned to talk very, very early. And she said, I was a chatterbox up until I was about four years old. And then she said, I just stopped talking. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I've tried to think about what may have happened. And the only thing I can come up with around the four years of age is the first time I ever saw my mother cry hysterically. And it was when JFK was assassinated. Mm. And that's the only thing I can come up with as Time would go on. Uh, my father became a, uh, a pastor, a preacher. We left uh, Tennessee and moved to South Carolina where he went to seminary. That was a traumatic experience. I had grown up in the country. We moved right off this huge main fairway uh, highway in South Carolina. The church we started going to was very strict and very legalistic. I also started going to that Christian school, and I was a teenager at that time. For a person who already struggles with fear and depression, certain environments make it worse. Whether it was born out of fear or insecurity, I was a perfectionist, and we're talking, <laughs> I had to do everything perfectly. And that feeds off of fear. So being in that environment uh, made my perfectionism worse. And I continue to see God as that angry old man. And I felt like I had to be perfect in order to gain acceptance from him. I can see why you struggled because it doesn't meet what you're hearing and what you feel or just not meeting. Tell me more about your father being a pastor and how that contributed to your story. We had to be perfect. We had to give off, we kids, we had to get off, give off this impression. I personally never wanted to do anything that would embarrass my father. I love my dad. He was very, very strict. And I think in an unhealthy way, I saw God through my father. Mm. And because my father was very strict, judgmental at times, it fed into that uh, fear. And I really did. I felt like as a preacher's kid, I always walked on eggshells. I was always afraid of doing something wrong to either displease God or displease my parents. That is suffocating. Yes. Just absolutely suffocating. Did you also feel the judgment of those who were members of the church? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You, you had to give off. Let me just put it this way. I 
did my best to appear to be perfect and have it all together. I made straight A's. I became a cheerleader. I was part of student council. I pushed myself to make myself appear to be someone I really wasn't. I was terrified and empty on the inside. And I just really didn't know what to do about it. Wow. And that's hard because as a teenager, you're dealing with all of the peer pressures Mm -hmm. and then you're dealing with your home environment while your parents were loving. You still felt this sense of having to perform and to be somebody who maybe you weren't. Right. All, All of that is just a perfect storm. Let's fast forward to when you got married, you married a pastor. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that worked out. I felt as part of my perfectionism, I felt that my calling was to be a preacher's wife. I went to a Christian college, another very, very, very strict Christian college. And that's where I met my husband. He was everything I wasn't. He was so outgoing. He was so confident. He was very handsome, very charismatic. I thought he was the perfect man. In my book, I explain a few things that happened in college, and I wasn't able to finish, and it just worked out to where um, he was a youth pastor in Georgia. I moved down there, and we got married. Right before we got married, I started noticing certain issues with my future husband, anger issues, jealousy, And some other things just just didn't feel right. But unfortunately, I was so insecure myself that I didn't pick up on the warning signs. And it wasn't until we got married, and it was actually on our honeymoon, that I realized that he was not the person that I thought he was. It just progressively got worse. He was physically and emotionally abusive got worse when I gave birth to our twin daughters. Mm. And that part of my life is just, I've healed from it, but it's a part of my life. Honestly, I wish I could go back and redo because who I am today, I would have never have allowed him to do to me what he did and what he did to our daughters. But when you are living in fear and insecurity and shame and condemnation, you don't know anything else. Now, I finally got the courage to go to, uh, we had actually left Georgia and moved to Texas where his family was from. I tell in the book about a very uncomfortable conversation that I had with his mother. Basically, if y'all read my book, I go into detail, but she pretty much told me that I was, pardon my language, but in for a life of hell with her son. And that was (laughs) very disconcerting. But as the abuse got worse, um, I went to the leaders of our church there in Texas and begged for their help because I really didn't know what to do. I'd been taught that divorce was horrible, that you never, that Christians never divorce. And so I went to them begging for help. Instead of help, they just told me I needed to be a more submissive wife. I left there thinking, how can I be more submissive? I'm not even a person anymore. I can't even open my mouth. 
And that was probably one of the darkest times that I remember is realizing that nobody was going to help me. I wrote down the quote from your mother-in-law. That rocked me. If she had met you is what she said. If I had just met you before you married my son, I would have told you these things. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And then I also wrote down the quote uh, about when you went to the leaders of the church and they told you to be more submissive. But what I also wrote down, Kathy, is that you said I was melting into an invisible person. Mm -hmm. That was hard to read. It would have been hard to read if I was reading anyone's book, but because you and I sat next to each other at the conference and we chatted and (laughs) I got to hear your laughter and see your smile and hear your stories, that just, oh, it crushed me to see that. So if you will continue on, I know that you didn't stay married to him. I realized that no matter what I did, I was never going to please him. So I kind of did the best I could. I did reach out to his father and his brother at one time, and they did help me a little. Stayed with my brother-in-law a little while until my husband promised that he wouldn't abuse us anymore. And once he promised his dad and his father, I moved back in with him because, again, divorce was, uh, you know, where I grew up, it was the unpardonable sin. As it went on, I discovered that he was seeing another woman. And there is a, (laughs) there's a place in my book that's very difficult to talk about because I don't feel the emotions anymore, but I know, I remember what they were like. And I was very concerned about him one evening and he wasn't coming home. He wasn't coming home. And when he walked in the door, I said, are are you okay? You know, has something happened? I had actually tried to reach out to someone that I didn't realize was a relative of his mistress. So when he walks in the door, he slams me against the wall. And I don't remember everything he said, but all of a sudden, something in me just broke. And when I say broke, it was like internally something shattered. And I realized, it's kind of funny now that I think about it, because the first thing I thought was, I'm not the crazy one. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like with every, I don't know if it was anger, outrage, I don't know what it was, but I literally shoved him out of the apartment. And I think it rattled him so much, he didn't come back. But probably the turning point, and it was both a good turning point and a bad turning point, is I called my father because I was so shattered and so broken. When I called my dad, I was just wanting solace or comfort or something. But my dad told me, he said, if you had listened to me, you wouldn't be going through this. And whatever little bit of heart I had left just literally broke. When my heart broke or shattered, really, a part of me just rose up and and literally I said out loud, sitting on the floor, crying like a baby, I will never, ever ask anyone else for any help ever again. 
And it was like, when I got up the, off that floor, I was determined to be a different person, to figure out what life really was about. I went through some dark times. Um, my, hus my husband and I tried to reconcile at one point, and um, I sent my daughters to stay with my parents because I, even though my, I was having a problem with my parents, I knew they loved my daughters. There was a period of time when I did contemplate suicide because it was like it just felt like the only answer, but I loved my daughters too much. I just could not do that to them. Basically, the way things worked out, we did get a divorce. He did leave me for this other woman. Um, I was a single mom, twin daughters. They were, I believe, three years old, about three years old when we split up. I started working three jobs. Now, keep in mind, I had been a stay-at-home mom. So I started working three jobs just to survive. It's like when you lose everything, you start questioning everything you've been taught, everything. I don't, I don't even know how to say it better. And during that time, God started bringing people into my life that were just incredibly loving, supportive. I started wondering if everything I had been taught in my church and by my parents, whether it was really the truth or not. And it was during that time that I started just asking God, who are you? Right. That's excellent to do because you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he welcomes questions like that. Well, Kathy, I'm, I'm sorry that that ended in divorce, but I do remember reading in your book that you found another man that was nothing like your first husband and you dated for a bit and then you married him. So tell me about that. Okay. The funny part about that is my ex-brother-in-law introduced me to Carrie. <laughs> um, and we did date a long time because we had both, I had been hurt and he had also been hurt in a previous relationship. But he was so different. He was loving and compassionate and kind. And he loved my daughters. Um, when we married, uh, about a year after we were married, he was able to adopt my daughters. My ex-husband gave up his parental rights. And it was really a God thing because it was not something we had planned to happen. But they were we were standing in court on their 10th birthday as they were being adopted by their new father. And that was just wonderful. Um, during this time, we got a new pastor at the church that Carrie and I were going to. And he and his wife were absolutely incredible Christians. They were the kind that just glowed with the love of Jesus. And they are responsible for helping me see the true grace of God. And that was the beginning of completely changing my life. Did uh, start going to Bible studies. One of the ones I mentioned in my book was the Experiencing God study. Mm -hmm. And that really did change my life. I saw firsthand that the way I had been raised was toxic religion. It had nothing to do with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Part of 
what I want to stress to anyone who has a similar background or even if we're nothing alike, I have learned that accepting God's grace grants you a peace that you honestly cannot explain. It will help you forgive and you won't necessarily forget, but it's like it doesn't matter anymore. You know that God was following you the whole time. And even though it was difficult, he was really there in places that you never realized he was there. And I know for me, it wasn't self-help. It wasn't positive thinking. It wasn't religion that healed me. It was literally accepting God's grace. And that basically has become the theme of my life. It changes you. For me, I'm, I'm presently working on um, possibly writing a Bible study uh, called Accepting Grace, the path to peace, purpose, and courage. Uh, a lot of people don't think about courage, but when you've come from an, um, an, ab an abusive background, courage sometimes is a hard thing to find, but God's grace will actually empower you with that. It really will. I think peace, purpose, and courage go together. If God can bring me and heal me from my trauma, he will do it for anyone. None of us are exempt from his grace. I don't care what you've done. I love what you've just said, because I think it's so important for all of us to understand that that relationship with Jesus and God is so foundational to who we are as people, as women. We can have that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy and the peace that you talked about and courage. Yes, I agree with you on the courage. That's something that I don't have in and of myself. I get it because God infuses me with it. I want to just very quickly talk about the companions on your journey. I thought it was an interesting way for you to talk about how in your early part of your life, you had the companions of shame and guilt and condemnation and fear, all of those. But when you turned your heart over to God and you learned about his love for you, that's when you had a switch out in your companions. Mm -hmm. And so tell me quickly the companions that you now have. Peace. Yes. I keep going back to that because when you've lived in fear so much, peace is the opposite of fear in my experience. Yes. Um, shame. I'm no longer ashamed of who I am. I'm no longer ashamed of what I've done because it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Romans 8, 1 tells us we are no longer condemned. We are not, period. But God has replaced those toxic companions with his grace, with his love. Yeah, I was, I was just about to mention love. That's what I, when I spent time with you, that's what I felt from you is that you felt God's love and that carried through in, in the way that you carried yourself, but then how you interacted with others. So Kathy, our time is almost up and I wanted to ask if you would share our 
tagline as we finish today. Sure, be glad to. When life zigzags, keep moving forward no matter what. Oh, I like that addition. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. It's been fantastic spending time with you today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. 